1: I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got. Brainy. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right, so, we're going team by team. I will be very careful about and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this. I yeah, like football. Like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast, Steve Pelizzolo, Sam Monson. We are live on YouTube on a Wednesday morning, talking all things NFL. Got some big news to get into. Yeah. Yeah, Anthony Richardson. no yeah. Declared QB1, hashtag as expected. <laughs> and uh, we've got some running back signings. I'm going to play a little GM. We got all sorts of fun stuff here today. So, how you doing, man? Not bad. Not bad. Tell your friends. Get to the chat. Let's go. Even Sam, you're in there. You... You live tweet through this whole thing or live chat through this whole thing. Eh, occasionally. I'll drop in, you know, add something to the box. I like that. That's good. It's good for the algorithm, too. We're just being honest here. Hit the a algorithm. thumbs up, talk, comment, and uh, tell people all about the PFF NFL podcast. Here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you want to get into it? Anything else we got
0: to gotta do here? Well, let me start with an email we got in. at Pffcom we have had a ton of people emailing in bets for the bet show that we will do it in, at a to be determined date in the future but also you know send us in whatever the hell you like and uh, this guy did did exactly that not a bet just an interesting fun little email short as well which is always a bonus uh this one was from brian i forgot i didn't copy his uh, second name from the email but anyway brian on a recent podcast you brought up 80s wrestling again now yes. the again there is my emphasis not his i don't believe this is a criticism it was just you know something we've done multiple times you two are the podcast version of the Hart Foundation or the British Bulldogs. One of you is the powerhouse; the other one is the technician. I'll leave it up to you to determine who's who. There is
1: no way in a Hart Foundation tag team that I'm the anvil.
0: Now, well, the hair doesn't match, but the
1: I am Bret Hart. The theoretical concept the makes sense.
0: If we could swap the hair situation, it would work. It would work. Because the, you know...
1: I'll, I'll comment later.
0: Continue. The anvil was, was vaguely follically challenged, or at least had the, what do you have, like the flat top for
1: a while? Yeah, you are far more the anvil. Right. You're just straightforward. I am absolutely the technician. But only I'm, from the hair I'm up. also the one, where, you know, if we, if we broke up. So anyway, anyway,
0: anyway, from the All hair right. up, it's anyway, right. So this guy says, which makes me wonder, if you were an 80s tag team, what would your tag team name be? And what would your signature finishing move be as a, double, as a tag team? from brian all right so yeah so you mr ideas man who seemed to run out of ideas in the year like 2017 or whatever put your ideas to this
1: i'm almost embarrassed to say this but i'm already a part of two (laughs) 80s tag teams i had two friends when we would you know wrestle in the basement and all that stuff we already have two tag team names from the 80s all right what are they I don't know if we should get into it. Oh, I think we should get into it.
0: You can't... That's, that's one of those pieces of information you can't bring halfway to the table.
1: It's out there now. you got to drop the names. So, uh, Mike, buddy Mike. Yeah. Avid listener. The wow. BFF NFL podcast. Uh, we, we were the Golden Eagles. Golden Eagles. Yeah. Okay. That's right. I mean, our... Know. Upstart, you know, high-energy uh, 80s tag team. <laughs> that's fine. We, we would, you know, throw the wrestling buddies around and yeah. stuff. And uh, my buddy Kevin my neighbor we were the uh, dynamic duo dynamic, dynamic yeah. duo okay yeah it's pretty right. good right? pretty solid I mean they're you know middle of the road fairly benign and they're alright so what would I be with you yeah an 80, I need more time to think of an 80s okay. tag team what na- would the na- finishing
0: f- move be Let's, that seems like an
1: easier one so I think I would need to do some kind of power move, and you're the high flyer. Which is why you're the This is exactly well. What the listen, email says. I want to just go back to the Hart Foundation. The reason why we can't be the Hart Foundation is because Bret Hart was clearly the better half of yeah. the Hart Foundation. The so if we best. had to choose roles, I would be Bret Hart. However, <laughs> I just want to say I do feel like there's a there's a equality in our podcast here right. we are far more equals it's it's certainly not you carrying me and i'm not dragging you so the british bulldogs are probably a better comparison are they because are they dynamite more? and davy boy yeah were more equivalent you know dynamite are was they? an outstanding uh light heavyweight junior heavyweight davy boy went on to be you know a steroid abusing thing. jacked up heavyweight <laughs> You know, so, but they were far more equals mm-hmm. versus the Hart Foundation, which was clearly Bret Hart. So I would say, if well, we on, were what? the Hart Foundation, and you and I split, if we had just a split, right? Like I'm Bret Hart. You know, I'm going, I'm going places, gonna become the champion and all that stuff. Like Bret, but I don't think that's us. Only is a freak show.
0: I mean, just just saying. You get the push for you. Get, you're gonna have giant in your name somewhere along the
1: way. You know. So anyway, I'm sorry. We're not the Heart Foundations. Okay. We're not the Bushwhackers.
0: We're more, either, uh, more. You didn't. They called them something different over here. They were where we were. It was Legion of Doom. Were they Legion of Doom here? Well,
1: they were both the Legion of Doom and the Road Warriors. Right. They started out as the Road Warriors, and then they did transition in to Legion AWA, NWA. Okay. And but they were called the Legion of Doom, the Road Warriors. That was much more of an equitable thing, right? Yeah. We the could be the Road Animal. Yeah, and then the Hawk, high flying, blah blah blah. But they were very equal. Both power guys, but also right. Hawk could fly. Um, Animal Son became James Laurinaitis. Right, you know the actual linebacker for the Rams. Um, they dropped Road Warriors when they went to WWF. Okay, nineteen ninety.
0: Well, that would be that would explain why I know them as the Legion of Doom. So anyway, it feels like our finishing move would be very similar in terms of you winching somebody skyward and me flying off a turnbuckle and doing something
1: yeah like I, I was a big fan of power and glory i don't know if you remember them but uh, hercules and paul yeah. roma hercules would do the superplex to the middle of the ring and then roma would come off the other turnbuckle with a big splash i feel like we could do so i'm doing a power move yeah you're doing a high flying move i think we would steal something like that so i would right. do a uh, a belly to belly off the top rope wow okay and then you'd come in with uh, moon salt, you know, just to modernize this whole thing. Right. If you could do that. Okay. Can you pull that off? I mean, not now, but, you know. I was putting the moves on my kids last night. <laughs> Tilt-a-whirl slams and everything. And it was great. I got a vertical suplex on, uh, on the kids, teaching them how to take the vertical suplex onto their bed. We need a lot this, of- this world where we're about to set up our own
0: hotkeys. That I was pulling the move of my moves on my kids is going to be a hot yeah. button. Oh, they were
1: loving it. That's going to be an audio clip that we use for the podcast <laughs> as, a bu- as its own button going forward. I was just I was taking them through some wrestle moves. Yeah. I told them no Tiger Drivers. That's the rule. They recited it back to me. They're like, Dad, you can't do Tiger Drivers. Those will kill you. So you can't do that. Um, anyway, this is very niche. Yeah. Very niche. Um, I don't have a good tag team name off the top of my head, and I can't, reveal, I can't believe I revealed my childhood to everyone here, but this is what we do here. We're, we're all friends.
0: Well, I mean, if, if the listeners have suggestions, they could email us in what our tag team name would be. Or drop it in the chat box, uh, NFLpodcast at PFF.com for your 80s
1: wrestling suggestions. Yeah, send the info in. Okay, so we, we got some breaking news here on Marlon Humphrey. Breaking news? Yeah. Marlon Humphrey, breaking news for the Ravens. Interpret this as you will. Uh, Mike Garofolo. Is, was it his his initial report that was very vague? I mean, that was the one I saw. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Ravens Pro Bowl cornerback Marlon Humphrey is expected to miss time with an injury that may require a medical procedure, and his status for the start of the season is now up in the air. Sources tell him and Tom Pelissero in a group chat.
0: Yeah. Uh, I mean, before we get into the the actual Marlon Humphrey news, that is an absolute masterclass in equivocation in a tweet. There are at least four separate equivocations in that tweet, in that piece of news, the breaking report. And this is not a criticism of Mike Garafolo. I'm sure the man is a fine journalist. I've seen him at the combine propping his phone up on a trash can to do a TV hit. So Did the you? man, the man's a pro, right? Yeah. And as evidence of how much of a pro he is, he cannot be tied to be wrong on this tweet in any way, shape, or form, no matter what happens. There's like... A hundred different scenarios can play out, each one of which will make him
1: right. And what you such do, is the way that this is written. And what you do is when uh, Marlon Humphrey, whether he misses time, doesn't miss time, has a procedure, doesn't have a procedure, you quote tweet the original mm-hmm. with hashtag Nailed as expected. It. Right. So as expected, as I already said, he wasn't going to miss time. Right. But he also could miss time, but he also could have surgery. He also might not but, have surgery. But look at this step by step, right? Miss
0: time. How much time? Who knows? We're going to equivocate. Could, on be, that. A could be a day with an game. injury. What injury? Doesn't matter. Who knows? Could be anything that may or may not require a medical procedure. What's a medical procedure? Could be anything. Could be, you know, ice on it, or it could be like complete reconstructive surgery. Nobody can tell. Not from this tweet anyway. And his status for the start of the season is now up up in the air. Just an, I mean, (laughs) just brilliant equivocation in that tweet
1: I can really appreciate it as a natural fence sitter here I uh, (laughs) I really appreciate the ability to hedge and play not just both sides but actually there's four different options here that are all rolled into that tweet so um what does this mean for the Ravens when we we, we've only done one preview so far and uh you know radical candor we're going to record our AFC and NFC East podcast right after this live show that's going to go live tomorrow, Yeah, fake live tomorrow, while we're <laughs> driving to Detroit for Jaguars-Lions joint practice. We've only done one preview show so far. It's been the AFC and the NFC North. When we discussed the AFC North, and particularly the Ravens, the one concern I had this year versus previous years, cornerback depth. Now, I think it's been an issue for Baltimore the last couple of years because of injuries. But we're talking about a cornerback room where Marlon Humphrey is supposed to be the guy. There's no longer a Marcus Peters there. It's a whole lot of unknowns or a guy like Rocky Sin who just hasn't been all that productive throughout his career. Rakia Sin, Brandon Stevens, Kevon Seymour, Jalen Armour-Davis, Demarion Williams, Arthur Millett. They don't have a whole lot of options. How do you, how do you say their fourth round, uh, fifth round pick, the corner out of Stanford? uh kelly oh yeah yeah blue, yeah blue kelly blue kelly yeah i don't know what the first part is yeah so i don't say his name out loud yeah. because i haven't heard it before and i don't know <laughs> but there's a lot of you know options there that are unproven so it's kind yeah. of a big deal i think for the ravens no it is i mean he's the one guy that you would be confident
0: in i mean marlon humphrey himself has had quite an inconsistent run of a few years from being genuinely one of the very best corners in the nfl to a lot more inconsistent. He's also gone from being a a sort of an outside bodied cornerback who was playing in the slot to transitioning outside. And actually he hasn't played nearly as well doing that. I'm not, I don't know if that's cause or an effect or if that's just coincidence, like his play has fallen off a little bit as they've moved him back outside. But either way, he's by far the most proven commodity in that secondary, certainly in, in the cornerback room. So without him, for any period of time, it's definitely a blow. On the other hand, with this vague tweet that could mean a hundred different things, if this is just an injury that takes him out of preseason and training camp, it's actually probably a useful thing for everybody else in the depth chart to get those reps when and hum- for and then Humphrey comes back for the regular season when it actually matters, and you know everybody's better for it. I'm
1: guessing because, as vague as it is, it's been tweeted out. It might mean something. So um, they have to cover Tank Dell week one. Houston Texans, impossible task. Bengals week two, Joe Burrow and the Bengals presumably, you get Anthony Richardson who we'll get to in a minute in week three, and then the Browns in week four, Steelers week five. So uh, early season Ravens, you got three division matchups and two rookie quarterbacks to prepare for if you are the Ravens. As a parent, your child's well-being, well-being is your top priority. You want to see them chase their dreams, embrace life's adventures, and thrive in this world. But you also know life can be unpredictable, and that's why it's important to plan for the unexpected, so you can continue to thrive, no matter what. So they can continue to thrive, no matter what. That's the uh, the key here. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than ten minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes, and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and you know, on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meet, meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meatfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underrating and health questions. We're going to automate those soon. Hmm. Where are my buttons? How do I do that? Uh, we
0: need iPads. Well, I we have iPads. We then need to set it up. I think the plan is to start messing with that next week. I've already got, we need to come up with audio clips to save. I mean, that obviously is one. The, uh, put the moves on my kids. And uh, I'll I have a great billionaire one for our billionaire slash uh, consultant GM segment. We, you know, we're going to collect them. This is, a, it's going to be a work in progress.
1: All right. What else do we have to get out? Let's talk Anthony Richardson. That's what I was uh, segueing to. Anthony Richardson. Number four overall pick, Indianapolis Colts, has been named. Yeah, the starter. Hmm. I'm. Are you surprised by this? Not in the slightest bit. No, I'm not surprised at all. And I'm, and it's, I'm not surprised just because I, not because he went fourth overall. I just thought they were going to throw him in there. I just thought they were always going to throw were, him in there yeah. into the mix. I know you've got some, some takes on this as far as Richardson that being called a project. So when you heard this news, it would, I was jokingly saying, as expected, I don't think there was ever really a battle between Anthony Richardson and Gardner Minshew. No, I, I don't either. I mean, I don't even, I barely want
0: to talk about the idea that he's been a name starter at all. I This was, oh, good. this is always going to happen. I would, however, like... Your thoughts? I don't have any. No, well, no, I would like consent to revise my um, analysis of his preseason debut, which we sort of sk- skimmed over um During the show, the review show on Monday, and I actually went back and watched it in its entirety again and have some better thoughts. Oh, okay,
1: great. Break it down, man.
0: So, number one, the interception that we were talking about, I actually don't think is a great example of what we were talking about, which is, you know, when things get disrupted a little bit as mechanics go to hell slightly and you get back to being the inaccurate version of Anthony Richardson. It was still not a good play, but... Alec Pierce on that play is doing something strange. He's, like, blocking rather than actually running a route to the right place. So it was some in, some mis- uh, miscommunication between the two in addition to probably not a great read. It's also a weird play where I don't understand what they're running. Um, the the route,
1: slot may have been off,
0: too. The right combination they're yeah. running on that side doesn't make sense. In addition to it being, like, almost the wrong side for an RPO in the first place like the whole thing nothing about that play makes any sense to me from start to finish so really just just to can I explain it really
1: quick okay to the people if you must uh it's a run play as we mentioned the other day it's an RPO so you're reading presumably one player to pull it and throw it the slot was running an out yep and then Richardson was throwing what should have been maybe a curl right from Alec Pierce both routes were, were run into the same area So I think where where Richardson was maybe off, even if he's expecting something different, he's just kind of chucking it into a very cloudy picture instead of maybe just burying it, saying something's off here. But also the slot may have run the wrong route, and Pierce didn't run a hitch or a curl. He went and kind of like fake blocked and then just got out of the way of the corner who ended up picking it off. Yeah. So I think three players may have really screwed up that play, both Richardson the, yeah, and the two receivers.
0: Literally nothing about that play makes any sense to me from start to finish. So it's not a great example of what I was talking about uh, on Monday. Having said that, there were examples of what I was talking about on Monday elsewhere in his tape. Um, he missed. He missed. A, well, he didn't miss. It, he skied a slant really high. Um, you know, remember when Cam Newton used to miss? It was almost always high over the middle. Like, he didn't tend to miss low or like either side of a guy he tended to just put it a yard and a half over where it was supposed to be which is dangerous because there are other players in the middle of the field and when you miss high you hit, tend to hit a defender um so he, he was really high on a slant that his wide receiver probably wouldn't have thanked him for um he was there was a hitch where he missed wide that was inaccurate inaccurate um there were there was another two where the the mechanics got a little bit sloppy. It was another hitch where he, he kind of leaned back in it and just tried to arm it all in there. So the accuracy thing is still a problem, but in particular, it's when he, he's not in rhythm, you know, when something breaks down and the mechanics go a little bit skewy, and that's when things screw up. But I was really impressed overall with, number one, when that isn't the case, like when things do fall into place sequentially, mechanically, And the arm is just insane, and it's really, really nice to look at the um, the corner route. to Alec Pierce was an absolutely beautiful throw, Um, but also I thought again this was in the the puzzle with uh, with Richardson. Excuse me, is that anytime you get an inexperienced quarterback who's incredibly athletic, we tend to just assume we know what that looks like and and label it a project and move on, right? But he's never really been that guy when you watched his college tape he wasn't a one read look to run athlete type of quarterback he was a guy that wanted to be a pocket passing quarterback and would hang in the pocket and would do a lot of good quarterbacking things in terms of moving around the pocket in terms of moving defenders in terms of eye discipline all that kind of stuff and then eventually would have to scramble because you know whatever but that's a very different thing and even now there's some really good quarterbacking things to his game that you wouldn't expect for a guy that's barely played. Like, what is it, 21 starts, something like that? Um, He has really good eye discipline and eye manipulation. Like, there was one play very early where, uh, I forget what it was, but he ended up coming to, it wasn't his first read, I don't think, but he was looking to try and hit um, a curl somewhere in the middle. And this is when the starters were still out there for Buffalo, which is a factor, by the way. Like this was not second team the whole way. So Matt Milano, one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL, is all over this. Like sees exactly where Richardson wants to go with it. Richardson looks at it, realizes Milano is going to have a beat on it, and then looks him off, and then comes back to that and hits the guy with a you know really uh, powerful pass to get the ball there before Milano can make a break on it. There were three or four times in what was still a pretty limited sample size, of him using his eyes to maneuver defenders around deliberately or, you know, specifically keeping his eyes away from the target that he wants to go to instead of staring it down and giving the guy a bead to go get it. So, again, we this is way more complicated than he's just a project athlete. He is an inexperienced quarterback, but he does a lot of pretty high-level quarterback things His biggest flaw is simply he hasn't seen enough yet. Like, he's going to be surprised and he's going to make some mistakes and he's going to get fooled by NFL defenses because they're that good and they're that capable of tricking you, essentially. Um, But I think he is quite a high-level processor. The biggest concern, though, is still that
1: accuracy, which is going to raise its head. That That was my biggest takeaway, I think, during the scouting process. Yeah. It's just legitimate accuracy. Right. And uh, I'm not going to go on my little, you know, whatever. I'm not going to rant about And I think even that might be better than it was
0: already. Like, I think he's made improvements, but there's still plays there where it's like, ah, yeah, you see, there it is again.
1: So that's where I know your initial take was make him the starter because he's got to see stuff. He's got to, he just needs experience. Yeah. And we were pretty honest about Trey Lance not looking good the other day. But the we also pointed out what he's he's got less than 500 dropbacks in the last four or five years as a quarterback. Yeah, um, he does have three years in Mike, Shan, uh, Kyle Shanahan's system. Maybe you know mental reps and seeing things and understanding of the system and everything. He should be working a little bit quicker, but um, there's still inexperience there. So you just throw Richardson in and let him be experienced. Uh, there was was a Burt Breer tweeted out yesterday, like you know. Through a scout or whatever it was. The mechanics are good on Anthony Richardson, and I just, I always get off on this thing. I, well, I didn't say that. I always get mad about when people say, cut that all, cut it. Clip that one as well. That's no, don't hopper. clip anything. I get mad when people say, this guy has good mechanics when they're inaccurate. Somebody said Christian Hackenberg had good mechanics yeah. at the time. And that's just a misunderstanding. He mechanically soundly of threw that that ball into the dirt. The whole point of throwing mechanics is to throw the ball accurately and with velocity and touch or whatever you want to put on the ball and you want to throw it where you want. If you're not doing that, the mechanics can't be good it, because the whole point of you're using your legs to throw and your hips and using your whole body to throw is to get your release point to the right place. And if you're missing throws, your release point is not in the right place. So the report was, Hey, he's got good, he me- doesn't need mechanical work. And to me, however you define mechanics, I think he's in the he's he's got to work a little. You see more things, help that ties your feet to your arm and all that. But he's just he's got to hit more throws. Like yeah. that was my takeaway in Florida. They ran the, a lot of. I watched all of his drop back passes in a row, and it's a lot of the same concepts. Sure. And one time he would hit the concept perfectly, and another time he would just miss the throw. So that part of it, the mechanical part of it, I do think needs to be tidied up for Richardson, but your your main point in comparing him to Lamar and the fact that he wants to go through reads and do quarterback things, like, I think that's all correct. There's also
0: not that many quarterbacks who, you know, in rhythm, with a clean pocket, et cetera, et cetera, aren't mechanically sound. Like, that's the easy part. You know, you've done that a million times. Like, the, the, the drill that you do, you know, the basic, like, warm-up of just quick, Five step drop mechanics, throw the ball. Like, the easy, like, everybody does that reasonably well. There's very few players where you look at them and you go, What is this travesty? We need to, like, spend the next three years rebuilding this from the ground up. It's like Tim Tebow and Byron Leftwich, end of list, right? Like, this can't work. The way you throw the football is fundamentally broken. I actually can't
1: believe you've made it as far as you have with that, like, abomination of a throwing mechanic. Leftwich was fascinating because it was a full. (laughs) I mean, Tebow was a full windup too. It's like but a windmill. Leftwich was a full windup, and he threw lasers. Yeah, but like, there's very few players
0: that make it as far as the NFL, where you look at that and you go, "What the hell am I even looking at? This is insane." So most of these guys, in those situations, the mechanics are fine. The issue is the whatever percentage of plays in the NFL where you have to do it from a different weird platform or strange angle, or where the mechanic, like the traditional throwing mechanics from a stable base disappear and you have to be able to change it. Like half of what Mahomes does is not sound throwing mechanics, but he practices that and he knows how to do it. And the ball comes out exactly where it's supposed to be almost every single time. So it works, right? That's where Richardson isn't sound at the moment. It's when he, you know, the the thing isn't 100% exactly where it needs to be. Something changes in the mechanics. And uh, instead of the ball being exactly where it needs to be, the ball's now a yard too high or the ball's now a yard to the right. Like that is where he's screwing up. And <clears throat> he's far from alone in that. Like there's a lot of quarterbacks where that's the biggest problem. But I, the, the underlying point in all this is I think he's like the poster child for a quarterback that needs to play right away because you don't need to change anything about him right now. You just need to get him experience. And you can't do that from the sideline. You can't do that in practice. You can't do that from the bench. He needs to be taking live reps. And you have that rushing ability to basically prop him up while you get him those reps. Like he can. You've run this playbook already with Jalen Hurts, with Justin uh, Fields last year. Like We've seen how this can look, even if he's not a good passer right away, which he might be the furthest along of the three,
1: ironically, despite the lack of experience. I want to bring this up. Because we've talked about this a little bit the last couple of years, Shane Steichen, when he um, or what, what the Eagles did with Jalen Hurts. By the way,
0: that's of the three when they started, as opposed to he's further along than Jalen Hurts as a passer right now, which
1: would be crazy. Oh, cu- let's clip that. Yeah, let's clip that. When Jalen Hurts became the starter, remember the first six or seven weeks of the Eagles, we were saying why are they not running him? Yeah, why are they not using him in the run game? Last year with the Bears, we were saying why are they not? tapping into Justin Fields' running ability six, seven weeks into the season, whatever it may have been. I theorized at the time, particularly the Eagles, that they actually wanted to work on their drop back pass game, that they actually wanted to play the long game with Jalen Hurts. This is the 2021 season. It was supposed to be a bit of a rebuilding year for the Eagles. They accelerated that rebuild, actually made the playoffs, didn't have much of a chance in the playoffs, but they had a, I think they overachieved in 21. And then set up a Super Bowl run in 22. I theorized that they knew Jalen Hurts could run. We know we could use him on zone keepers. We know we could run him 10 to 12 times a game and have a lot of production, but it doesn't matter if he doesn't develop as a passer. And so I theorized that they worked on the dropback game and didn't lean into the thing that they know would win games in the short term and they played the long term game. And maybe the Bears did something similar last year with fields. Do you think it'd be smart for Richardson and the Colts to do that? In other words, we're gonna go into the season and say, Anthony Richardson, all he needs is past game experience. Once we decide to do it, he, we know he could be a 1,000-yard runner, but we don't want to pursue that because it's his rookie year. Sure, we can win some games if we lean into his running ability. He could run for a 1,000 a yards. He could be a part of our design running game. He could scramble, but the first half of the season, all we're doing is getting him drop back pass reps, play action reps. We want him throwing the ball, and that's the focus. We're playing the long-term game here for the Colts.
0: No, because I think external pressure is a thing. Um I would have no problem with them doing that in preseason where it doesn't mean anything if he stinks. Like Richardson is let's say he was awful every like they they do nothing but drop back passing, Richardson looks terrible and it happens for four straight games. Yeah, it would be a bit of a story, but it would be forgotten about by week 2 if, you know, things change in the regular season, so it doesn't really matter. You get to the regular season though and you're like That's what we're doing. This is our game plan. We're not going to tap into the thing that might actually give us success. We are going to work on his deficiencies, which means we are going to play up his deficiencies, which means we are going to stink. And you do that for like eight weeks, and they're one and seven, and Richardson looks like ass. Like the external pressure on him and on that team is going to be overwhelming, even though you know that this might actually be the best way of, you know, improving his biggest weakness I think you're way better off buying him the time he needs to get better at the other stuff by tapping into the stuff he's good at, like the Jalen Hurts thing. We were, like, Jalen Hurts was able to become the guy he was last season, i.e. an MVP candidate, because he made it through the previous season viably. If he hadn't, I don't think he'd have even made it that far. So you can get, like, a whole two seasons out of this guy by kind of propping him up and giving him the reps versus can you make it ten weeks doing it the other way if it's terrible?
1: They're not tweeting that out, right? You can't say that. Who's <laughs> not, not tweeting what out? My when I misspoke earlier. Oh, tweet away. All right. No, I'm just I was curious. I want to know what the people think. What should they do? It's with, the same. Uh, like Anthony it's Richardson? it's my same answer is. The previous two cases, where
0: I think you benefit more by sort of warping the game plan to to artificially prop him up, because I think the most important thing is live reps, which we kind of both agree on. But live reps in a situation where the where everything around him isn't bad, like if it's if it's a short, uh, you increase essentially the the frequency and the intensity of the live reps you're getting. Like you shrink it down into a much smaller period of time but at the expense of probably being a lot worse, which increases a bunch of other negative aspects of things, versus you ha- you, the, the important reps are spread out of, over a lot longer period of time, but the benefit you get is that the team doesn't stink in the meantime, and we're not like clamoring to have the guy benched because he's clearly not good enough at this level.
1: Yeah, and we mentioned coming out of training camp too. Not only did we see him look pretty comfortable in the pocket for whatever it's worth on the reps that we saw, but the offensive line should be far better than it was last year. Yeah. Offensive line. What are you <laughs> laughing at? No, the offensive line that they're twe-
0: should be significantly the, better. They're not going to tweet anything out, <laughs> what I said. Um, like lost in, lost in everything that happened last year with the Colts is that the line should never have been a, as bad as it was. Like they sold Matt Ryan this bill of goods that, hey, you're going to come to a team that's already good. We've got a great offensive line. We've got Jonathan Taylor, blah, blah, blah. And then it all collapsed around him, in part because Matt Ryan was this statue that made everything look worse. But, like, that offensive line should be significantly better than it was a year ago. There's no reason it was as bad as it was, even with, you know, injuries and and all those sort of associated
1: factors. It should be better this year. I want to bring something else up. So uh, there we go. Anthony Richardson getting the start. Let's go watch him play ball. I'm excited. I mean, that's maximum entertainment for the NFL, watching Anthony Richardson, his development, how they use him, I'm excited to watch the Colts this year. But I think
0: you can argue he was the best of those, like the first glimpse of all the rookie quarterbacks. I mean, you know, Aiden O'Connell or whatever in the fourth round looking amazing. But Besides Aiden O'Connell. Of those top guys, I think you can definitely make gr- the case that he looked the best. I'm going to grind the film
1: a little bit right now, too. Let's watch. Look at you with your little uh, yeah, I got the, little remote control. Got the remote, play action. You were asking me about the play action that he looked like. You know, I think he was just throwing it away. Yeah, the one where he was kind of off-kilter.
0: I wasn't confused by what
1: was happening. Just it was a body was more, position. Yeah, it. it
0: was more the contorted, weird angle he got himself into
1: to throw that thing. Uh, what else? So I want to ask you, ask you something that we didn't talk about really quick. Hard knocks, there was uh, Robert Sala kind of laying into the offensive mm-hmm. line. There was I where, haven't watched yesterday's episode yet. I've the, watched the first one. It, I don't want to say there was a report on it, but it was basically just telling the story of Sala basically talking to the offensive line and saying, hey— you know, if you guys don't play better, it won't matter that we have MVP quarterback, good receivers, good running backs. Is the offensive line a concern for the Jets? Or is this just, this happens in every practice. This happens in every room. O-line maybe just just had a bad day and the coach is like, hey, pick it up, O-line. And then the next day we might have said, you know, running backs, pick it up or whatever. Um, But this has been a question for the Jets this offseason. O-line, their health, who the starting tackles are going to be, and the reports in camp aren't just a one-day thing where it's one, one speech from, from Salah on hard knocks. Should we be concerned about the Jets and their offensive line? I mean, the offensive line for them for a while has been the biggest question mark
0: on paper heading into the season. Like, the receiving core is good. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers transforms things from a, a passing point of view. Um, The backfield is now amazing. We'll get on to the Dalvin Cook signing in a bit. The defense, like that defensive front, looks absolutely freaking loaded. Um, The back end looks good. Like the offensive line is the glaring weakness on paper. Now, there's absolutely a world where they find a starting five that's reasonable, right? Uh, Whether Mekhi Becton stays healthy and sort of backs up what he was able to do in his rookie season before injuries started to become a factor. Um, Joe Tippman has been playing really well in preseason, was a really good college player, one of those sort of steel signings or draft picks, and is starting to get runs with the ones. Like That's potentially an upgrade for them. Laken Tomlinson has good play in his past. It hasn't worked with the Jets yet. Elijah Vertucker has looked really good <clears throat> at multiple different positions. So like at least four out of the five spots, there's definitely a world where they're pretty good. Right tackle, I think, is a question almost regardless of what they do. But this feels a lot like the offensive line equivalent of, you know, the Colts receiving core from a few years ago where you're like, there's an optimistic painting where everything's fine. Having said that, if you're saying what is the most likely outcome of this collection of players, it's probably not great.
1: Yeah, I think the, the tackles concern me. Whether it is what the tackles concern me. I'm interested to see Elijah Vera Tucker. I think there's depth on the interior. Right. And having Elijah Vera Tucker at guard Might not be the best play there because I think he could be a solid tackle. Yeah, maybe Elijah Vera Tucker playing right tackle, and then you could start moving around. Wes Schweitzer is is a solid guard, and uh, you mentioned Tomlinson. There's two potential solid centers. I think the interior is fine, and you got to get Vera Tucker out of there, maybe, to solidify one of those tackle spots, and then you figure out left tackle. If they're ever to make a move, I know your guy Josh Jones. With the Arizona Cardinals, pick up the phone. We've talked a lot about Josh Jones on this show, a guy that we kind of liked coming out of college, played guard for a couple years with the Cardinals, did not play well, filled in admirably at left tackle, was very good there last year. And the Cardinals have three tackles, four tackles. All they have is tackles (laughs) in Arizona. You have DJ Humphreys starting left tackle that they've paid. They just drafted Paris Johnson, who's tackle first, but could play guard. They also have Kelvin Peachum there on the cheap to play right tackle. So Josh Jones, you, they don't want to slot him back into guard where he wasn't successful. Could be a guy that, that the Jets, as he Jones heads into the last year of his contract, maybe steal him as a starting left tackle to mitigate some of the issues with maybe Dwayne Brown and Makai Becton's injuries. Yeah, I
0: mean this is the thing, right? This is the the Jets line currently. Um we are a trades are still a possibility, but also we're about, we're getting we're approaching cut day, right? Every team is about to purge like forty players from their roster, many of whom will be offensive linemen. Several of whom will be potentially starting quality, given the competition on the Jets roster. So, I think the Jets are absolutely going to be paying attention, you know, to the waiver wire to what is available in trade. I know a lot of people have linked them with David Bakhtiari. That feels a little bit too much, like a bridge too far in terms of money and and you know, whether they can actually make that happen. But a Josh Jones move is a lot. Aaron gave up all that money so he could bring his buddy back they they He jumped a bunch of it yeah. on uh, Dalvin Cook. I'm just saying it wouldn't shock me if what looks to be the starting five on paper right now is not the starting five by week one, that they find a move either on the waiver wire with cuts um, or via
1: trade to bring in a body that does upgrade that unit. All right, you mentioned Dalvin Cook. We'll talk about the running back signings in a minute here, but this season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings Best Ball Tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, or anything else start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF. Enter DraftKings Best Ball Millionaire Contest and then snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, no drops, no trades, no, I should have played him insteads. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So, what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app right now. Sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with the code PFF. Gambling problem call 1 800. Gambler agent eligibility restrictions apply, void or prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg,
0: this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons.
1: This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment.
0: That is a harsh
1: lesson in business. Sports is not uh, as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba Effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Dalvin Cook officially signs with the Jets. Mm -hmm. And Zeke Elliott at the Patriots counter with Zeke. What it's was a, that? It's a counter. 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 I don't know.
0: Okay. So, carry on. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the Dalvin Cook signing is the more interesting of the two, I think. And, I mean, so... Do you answer Walt's trivia question here? No. No. Um, Obviously, this was a move that was linked fairly immediately when Dalvin Cook was released. First it was the Dolphins, and then there was a lot of talk. He was going to the Jets, and then that didn't happen. He bounced around a little bit, and then he's come back to the Jets. Um, fundamentally, Dalvin Cook is still a really good running back. Like, he wasn't worth the crazy sum of money that he was on with Minnesota when they signed him to that contract and it had to reach this point, which is why they got rid of him. But he's still a really good starting running back. And this conversation of... How much is a running back worth? How much can they move the needle? How much will they actually generate wins? I don't think... the One of the most important points that is probably overlooked a lot of the time is I don't think that is a static constant. It varies depending on what else is already there. So when we were talking about how high can you draft Bijan Robinson, remember number one, like A or B, the, the flow chart. Do you have a functioning run game already? Yes or no? If it's no... Go, back, do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Do not sign the running back. Right? If it's yes, then we can start having a discussion. The Jets already have a functioning run game. They're already a good offense, at least on paper. Um, so they're immediately in a situation where Dalvin Cook makes a bigger difference to them than he does signing for a team that doesn't have any of that, and he's supposed to carry the load or transform something to this offense. He's a value add on top of what's already functional as opposed to you're trying to fix something that's an underlying problem. So from that point of view, it's more of a luxury move, a, you know, not a last roll of the dice, but like one additional thing thrown on top of this to try and get them to the Super Bowl.
1: Yeah, I think it's a good, fine move. I mean, Dalvin... If you remember a couple years ago when the the Vikings upset the Packers, I think it was the 2021 season, and the big key is Dalvin breaking off big runs and a 60-yard screen. He had that 60-plus-yard screen against the Colts in that comeback. There's going to be a game or two this year, I think, where Dalvin Cook creates a big play and it has a huge impact on the Jets winning a game. You combine that with Brees Hall, who they can ease in coming off of his injury, and Michael Carter got some depth there yeah and uh did we ever have uh zonovan knight do we ever have him on the show no we were talking about it yeah so he's an uh, almost friend of the show <laughs> almost. they've got some depth there but they've got big playability with dalvin cook so obviously we're pff our take is going to be different than your you know talk shows that you watch on you know what used to be cable on your on your big network your network shows where it's like who's stopping this jets offense and you just plop a dalvin cook name there next to all the other big names mm. It's not, it's not that. It's not like, here's the super team. But what it is, actually, is the times that they do have to rely on the run, create a big play in the pass game out of the backfield where, it's, where they're not relying on receivers. Dalvin Cook can bring that to the table. As can Brees Hall. So I just, I just think there's more big playability here for the Jets. Yeah. And so that should be exciting. Yeah, it's, I mean— It's, it's a- also a point, right, at the end of the season. There's no, there's no real other moves to make. I guess you could trade for a David Bakhtiari. Technically, you could. But you're at this point where there's not, there's not a lot of other big splash moves to make. So just kind of using what you have left in cap space to add a running back who does upgrade your running back room is fine.
0: It's also like the only criticism can be, you know, how much do they pay? Because it's like Dalvin Cook makes every backfield in the NFL better because he's a really good player. So the only criticism with a move like that is, well, how much did it cost for them to make it happen, and would they have been better off using that money somewhere else? Well, you can definitely make that argument if that's the difference between, you know, a trade for David Bakhtiari or not. But assuming in an isolated vacuum, like this was the move they were making, it was either this or nothing, it's good. I mean, Dalvin Cook makes that Jets team better, and then it doesn't really matter how much it costs them to make it happen because it's a short-term deal, And it's not, like, crippling in the long term. It's kind of like, you know, anyone following the transfer sagas in the Premier League at the moment. Like, Liverpool desperately need a holding midfielder. And at this point, it doesn't really matter if they're overpaying for one because it makes them better.
1: Have to do it. Have to do it. Uh, Zeke Elliott to the Patriots. We've got Ramondre Stevenson already there in the backfield. Uh, You've got uh, Damian Harris out this offseason after having some, yeah, you know, pretty productive years there in New England. But Ramondre Stevenson took over uh, the workhorse duties last year. Remember Stevenson's a a huge back. Was it it was just two preseasons ago, maybe the first preseason game, he has a ninety one yard touchdown run to kind of put himself on the map, had a solid rookie season, but he he was handed the reins as the feature back last year for New England, ran the ball extremely well, and they threw the ball to him. That was a big Question mark with Stevenson. He's almost 230 pounds. Can he catch the ball? He's pretty good catching the ball out of the backfield. So Stevenson still looks like the bell cow, but you bring in Zeke Elliott, who battled injuries the last couple of years, certainly not as explosive as he was. He was never really a big playback, but he was just a good, effective, get what's there type of running back throughout most of his years in Dallas. What does he have left to add to this Patriots offense? I think that
0: Zeke's demise It was kind of over-exaggerated, right? We were sort of focusing so much on how much Tony Pollard was outplaying him and trying to construct an argument that was, hey, Pollard should be getting the ball more. And the Zeke Elliott contract was so egregious that there was a rush to tear down everything Zeke was doing, you know, as if this guy is an absolute bum, doesn't belong in the NFL, blah, blah, blah. He's still not a bad running back. Like, not a bad running back. He's not worth $90 million. He's not worth playing over Tony Pollard. But he is not a bad running back. And in particular, I think he has a couple of areas of real strength, which are short yardage. Like, if you need him to get a yard, he's pretty much as good as he gets in terms of getting that yard. There aren't too many players that are better at the short yardage stuff. Um, And he—the pass protection one is a little bit strange because— you know people held that up for ages about like oh that's why he's in there that's why you can't have tony pollard there pollard's a terrible blocker blah 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 zeke i think is pretty good at knowing where to go he's been a little bit hit or miss in terms of actually blocking that guy in the past couple of years and to be honest that's a you know running backs generally i think are outmatched in today's nfl when it comes to picking up the blitz um but zeke is at least very good at that play that everybody's terrified of where you're running back goofs mentally and a linebacker has a free run at the quarterback and the quarterback never sees it coming. Those should at least not exist while Zeke is in the offense because he's very good at understanding who the right guy is to get in the way of even if he doesn't always stop them.
1: Yeah, that was the opposite of what we talked about the other day with rookie, yeah. with rookie running backs just making sure that when, when there's an unblocked defender, something happened with the offense, either – That's known, and it's the quarterback's job to handle that with a hot read or somebody messed up. Right, it's far from
0: always being the running back's fault, but there's definitely plays where running back goof, get the wrong guy, and that's the play that all coaches are terrified of, is the one that should have been blocked wasn't because somebody made a mental mistake, and the quarterback is now 100% at the mercy of a free-running 250-pound linebacker with a head of steam about to nail him in the back. That doesn't tend to happen when Zeke is on the field because he's very good at understanding the blocking assignments.
1: I can't remember if it was last year or the year before. It's all blending together. But there was a point over the last couple of years where I thought Zeke looked a little sharper. I thought he looked a little more nimble than he had in previous Mm. years. Uh, Again, he was a very good running back for the Cowboys, behind a good offensive line. He was a good zone zone runner. uh, But... He never really made a ton of guys miss, right? He was never really uh, a yeah. make-you-miss type of person. But if you did have a good offensive line, he knows how to you know read blocks and maximize what's there. And I think the first half of the year, he looked fine. He kind of lost it last year. So, again, I don't know how much the injuries ended up so, coming back to bite. Little, but um, I think he'd be a good, effective change-of-pace guy. We also his demise you mentioned maybe a little overrated it's because he was side by side with Tony Pollard who every time you gave him the ball yeah. was averaging about 6 yards a pop and effective in the run in the in the past game it was more just flip just flip the script on who you're giving the ball to more than anything so i think running backs that are
0: like Zeke stylistically suffer more when the blocking falls off than guys that are like Tony Pollard does like you see some data <clears throat> Recently, that like the most important thing from a running back perspective is that explosive ability. You know, the the capacity to break off big plays, breakaway runs, all those kinds of things. That's the, and the, it's largely because it's the most valuable thing. Those big runs are, are massively valuable like chunk plays on in the passing game. But it's also because when the blocking starts to fall off a little bit, when the space is a little bit worse, when the the room at the line of scrimmage condenses, now your capacity to make a big play is massively diminished if you're not an explosive running back. Like, if you're a guy that thrives off maximizing every last yard, fine, you can still do that, but the yardage overall is just decreasing in every single play. So Zeke, the man has never averaged less than 2.7 yards after contact per play, which is a pretty good number. Like, three is a really good benchmark. So 2.7 is not a bad number at all. Never. Um, At his best, he was at 3.8, 3.2. Those are really good numbers. 2.7 is not bad at all. So that part of his game has never really gone away. But the difference is when the offensive line is not stuffed full of all pros and they're not creating these yawning chasms at the line of scrimmage every time, he can't turn those plays into 40-yard runs the way Tony Pollard can with that burst and that speed through the line. So I think when, when the situation around them which all running backs are dependent on gets worse. The Zeke style of like just efficient, you know, maximize like getting what's there plus 20% or whatever, that guy suffers worse than the explosive runner who is still going to get like stoned at the line a bunch of times, but when there is a crease he can turn it into something big.
1: Yeah, I think that's all. I think that's all fair. On
0: Zeke. And the Patriots, I think, have a really good run-blocking offensive line. Like, should be better than Dallas's the last year or two. So, potentially, is a better spot for Zeke anyway.
1: They're, well, we'll talk about their offensive line tomorrow. AFC East preview show tomorrow. We'll talk about the that. Easts and the Jets. Of the Easts, the monster show. That's what biggest fan base is Beast of the East. That's right. Uh, anything else on the running back signings? Is it GM time? Are we almost there? I think it's. Uh, I think it's GM now, right? only gone for 50 minutes so far today. Well, yeah. Stretch this thing but out. But now
0: we've got GM Steve.
1: All right. Am I going to the podium?
0: I believe that's how it works, yeah. They're, All right. They're going to put up the, the graphic. Bring in my stylist because
1: that's what I do. I want total control yeah. of my team. I want to be able to recruit anybody that I want. No mm. interference.
0: Critically, I'm not wearing a, shirt, so right I'm no no wearing a green shirt, so I'm no longer going to have a background. be wearing a green shirt. I mean, I trade yeah, I made change. the point today, though, that being it's only funny when it's unintentional. It's not funny when it's intentional. All right. I know what to do I'm working hands. here. What? Surely, I mean, that should be a consultant GM segment in itself. What, what does the GM at the podium do with his hands? You need the Rick thing, right? Rick at, the, at 120 Sports or whatever it was, you get a piece of paper, you roll it up into like a, a scroll, and then you've always got something in your hand. I'll
1: bring something laminated. I like having the lamination.
0: Yeah, yeah. that's true. Do
1: you All want right. a depth chart for tomorrow, by the way? Do you want me to print one for you and laminate it? Oh, God. Jags, Lions. Again, I, f- I feel like the answer to that is no. You don't want to carry that around practice?
0: No, it's not the carrying around practice. I don't want to be the guy that's there with a laminated depth chart. It yard. is
1: so great and efficient. You got one side for oversteer. you flip it. just don't want to be it, the other guy. Side, it's, it's really unbelievable.
0: It's one of those situations where I know I will experience a worse time because of it. I just don't want to be that guy. You human. won't even
1: know who you're looking at. Anyway, let's right, go. Fire it away. Yeah.
0: This one is a question from Shad Sykes who says, I wanted to see if you guys can do a deeper dive into Tua as he goes into his fourth year and seriously consider if you would sign him to a long-term deal. It seems the narrative this entire offseason is if Tua stays healthy, the Dolphins' offense can be very good, but there's never consideration or conversation into the long-term outlook of Tua and his future with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, when you look at his games, there is a significant drop in production and consistency when he's playing a good defense that you don't normally see with a franchise quarterback. Tua was also very reliant on his extremely fast wide receiver group, getting a lot of separation, the most in the league by a large margin, to make up for his lack of arm strength. Defenses started to play press man against and Hill to throw off that timing and congest the middle of the field to really take away where Tua likes to throw. Not to mention, throwing outside the numbers seems like a huge task every time Tua is asked to do it because of that arm strength. As a lifelong Dolphins fan, I'm desperate for the Dolphins to get this right because they never do. The Miami Dolphins have been the epitome of mediocrity for 23 years, and I want it to end. I'm sure you get asked a lot about Tua, but I think this is the single most important year for the Miami Dolphins since the 90s Jags crushed Dan Marino in the playoffs. 62-7. Please help us, Steve. So let's assume Shad, instead of a fan, is the billionaire owner of the Miami Dolphins now and would like guidance on what to do with Tua.
1: I don't like this question. (laughs) This is a tough question. This is a tough one. What have we seen from Tua? Pretty well summed up there. What have we seen from Tua in three years? First two years, a little underwhelming. Offense was limited. Was it because the offensive line was really bad? Was it because Tua was limited? Arm strength wasn't great, wasn't get the ball down the field. RPO heavy, first two years, not that excited, despite there were definitely some Dolphins fans who said, no, two was great, winning record, all this stuff. Wasn't a great, first two years. Last year, far more promising, started off outstanding. Offense was more effective. That coincided with Mike McDaniel coming in, with Tyreek Hill coming in, Jalen Waddle being healthy and on the field all year. So, health and speed and good play calling elevated that offense. If we see a full season of Tua stays healthy, I'm far more inclined to lock him up long term. Now, this is where the discussions are difficult, because if he has another huge year, I think it's probably because he's a good solid NFL quarterback. He's the hey, I don't hit on every single comp, but my early comp was Jimmy Garoppolo coming out. Jimmy Garoppolo, quick release, hit the open receiver. You know, he's good mid-tier type of quarterback that could. Uh, Put up good numbers. I think that's where Tua is right now unless he proves me wrong and starts carrying the team. Because what you bring up about facing good defenses, there's something to that. There's something to, with Tua in the playoffs, is he going to go and beat Josh Allen and Joe Burrow and Patrick Mahomes and whoever else? I don't know if he could be that guy. But I think he could run the system really well. I think he's a good fit for Mike McDaniel in the system. So I think he could be productive. So if he can stay healthy put up another good season, I think Tua can get paid. But I, you know, every next quarterback that gets paid, I'm hoping we're not having discussions about him in the Joe Burrow range or in Josh Allen range. We can't have that, even Justin Herbert range. Herbert's more of a carry-the-team type of guy than Tua is. That's what I'm seeing so far. So unless he proves me wrong this year, I want Tua in that, Thirty to thirty-five million dollar range, not that forty to fifty million dollar range. Will is that even possible? Can we? Is this the mid-tier quarterback contract? We're gonna have to have those difficult discussions.
0: Um, question uh, from from the billionaire. You went that entire sequence without mentioning the model. Where did? What does the model think of Tua? Or what did it think of Tua coming out?
1: Yeah. So the model's not great with quarterbacks, <laughs> like everyone else. No, it liked Tua. Um, The problem with using a model on quarterbacks, and and this is the reason why kickers, Sam, billionaire, this is why kickers, you know, you can't predict kickers. It's because you're trying to predict one guy at one position where there's no backups, there's no depth, there's no development. You're not allowed that. So hit rates are always going to be very difficult at those particular positions. So I think the model's pretty good at identifying solid quarterbacks. It's not great maybe, and I don't think anybody is, Who's good? Who can use numbers to identify elite quarterbacks? Is there anybody who has numbers that would have identified who are the elites that have come out in the last 10 years? Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert and Dak and the guys that are top eight quarterbacks. No number, Josh Allen, no numbers point toward those guys. So it's always going to be a challenge. Um, I think you can model things to find more Tua's. You know, And that'd be the argument against paying him and why you want to hedge a little bit and pay him less than some of the other guys who are more carry the team type of people. Now, I don't know if there's two people out there that are like, this is ridiculous. He's better than Herbert. He's going to make this Joe Burrow step. We'll see. But I think we can all honestly say Tua has not been that guy yet. If you're going to cite stats, downfield passing stats, whatever it might be from last year, you have to acknowledge that's the people around him. That's the scheme. That's the speedy receivers getting open as this initial question was the separation that's been created there all of that led to the ridiculous production that Tua put up for the majority of the season last year I want to see that again but I also want to see when there are games where they have to pass where it's all on him can he go do it it's a really interesting case study though because
0: the picture got muddied last season by all those concussions right? right so you have the start of the season and i think through like week 12 i mean he's got a grade in at week 12 as good as any quarterback in the nfl like 90 plus looking like an absolute superstar the numbers through the through the roof multiple games with over 10 yards per attempt ridiculous number like absolutely carving it up and then the in uh, the, the concussions not injuries i mean they are injuries but you know what i mean concussions start to become a factor and then he comes back and it's and it's like you know is this actually tua or is this the version of tua that's sort of Come back post initial concussion. Um, Even with the grade, though, and you have, but then you have like four straight games that were like meh or worse, right? Um, and
1: and I think that was just him regressing back into what he is.
0: But it also Even- coincided with with defenses starting to do what, what the email mentioned, which is a lot of press man coverage taking away the middle of the field. And the one sort of super talent that Tua has is that anticipation and accuracy over the middle of the field. Like he's able to see those in-breaking routes and hit them in tight windows, closing windows, you know, between linebackers and safeties really, really accurately, Um, which, which apparently allows him, you know, to play at an elite level overall. Now the question becomes for a quarterback like Tua, who is physically limited, right? A guy like Josh Allen theoretically can run any offense you need him to run because he has all the tools in the world. Tua doesn't. So if you're able to take away his superpower, is he actually good enough at everything else to change? Like, can he pivot? Can the offense pivot as long as Tua is the quarterback? That, I think, is the big question.
1: Yeah, and I think that's – look, last year at this time we were saying, can the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes adjust to two high shells, which no matter what – Right. Say they didn't do well against those in 2021, and they adjusted and did in 2022. Um, it's why we, you know, it, it, it's not smart to overrate, you know, one performance or one season because the NFL, you have to give the NFL a chance to adjust. So, yeah, it is a big year for Tua and the Dolphins, not only for the health purposes, but adjusting, like you're saying. I think there was some natural regression there. I don't think he's a 90 plus PFF graded quarterback, uh, but I think that 90 plus PFF grade is similar to what the Ryan Tannehill high 80s, low 90s that he had in that Tennessee Titans offense that had an AJ Brown was play action heavy. So I think, I think those are high end systemy type of quarterbacks who can, who could produce in a really good system and that's valuable, but you know, that's going to be, is that worth 30 million? or Is that worth 45, 50 million? That's the big question. I think there's a, I don't think the production and the, and the pay should be matching there necessarily. Yeah, I
0: mean, Mahomes is another good example of, um, he showed that he is capable of making any adjustment schematically or any adjustment to the offense that needs to happen we don't yet know if that's true for Tua and that really is going to determine what his value is all right right. good yeah you ready for the uh, second no second another question we've got a second general manager question consultant you ready yes uh okay this one is from Neil Sharma uh my team that I am the GM of has just made the playoffs and having, a, having had a successful season. However, we are a prime regression candidate because our defense was amazing and got good turnover look whilst our offense lacked behind, think 2016 Giants and 2017 Jags. Because of our success, we've got high expectations for next season. How do I prevent significant regression from crushing my team this season?
1: Yeah, I think the key here is, is understanding where the wins came from so you might be the vikings you might be the giants and you might go into this off season and so the mistake that you would make and that maybe has been made previously around the nfl would be say we're a 10 win team we're a 13 win team we're one player away we're we're one more thing away or whatever it is when you should really be saying we're an eight win team treat the off season like you're a seven or an eight win team even if you won 10 or 11 or 12. so you go into the off season say we need to make significant improvement we'll never be able to match what we did last year so that's not really a blueprint it's really just a mentality and in, in just avoiding the pitfalls of saying we were so close last year this year we're going to get over the hump by this one or two more players you might need five more players eight more players you still need to draft well you shouldn't go into the off season and trade up in the draft and just go get your guy and leave three other draft picks on the table because you feel like you're you know one win away from the championship game or anything like that so to me it's more about just understand it properly assessing the season sounds like you already have as long as you go into the offseason properly assessing it and you talk to your billionaire owner and you say look i know we won 12 last year we were really like an eight win team yeah we overachieved because i'm i'm a great general manager and we got a good coach we hired good people but we overachieved so we have to treat this like we're an eight win team and really pursue uh improving the team this offseason it's not just one or two tweaks there might be a lot more than that because some of those wins were fake
0: Hmm. Now, as a billionaire owner, I'm simply going to be saying, well, if you overachieved and you're that good, do it again. Win me those games again. Overachieve again.
1: That's my expectation now. I'll just say, okay, I will. And if I don't, then I don't. <laughs> but don't? I will. You don't? Then you get fired. That's get the way it works. I mean, fire me. Just pay me for the rest of the contract. That's fine.
0: Yeah, oh, okay. Is that not a good answer. I mean— yeah, it works for the actual GM. It doesn't work for the the consultants.
1: So. I, I do wonder how much that happens with teams, though. Do you do you properly? Do you, do you use adjusted wins or the actual on field performance to say this is the quality of team we are, or do you lean into what Bill Parcell says? You are what your record is, you know. But I think that's the hurdle. Is the
0: billionaire? Is you might have a good handle on it. Like you might be acutely aware as the GM that we overachieved last year. We weren't that good. We're gonna try. I mean, you know, teams have done that in recent years where they clearly overachieved and rather than say, we're set, we're a player away, you know, they absolutely overhauled units, you know, like the Bengals. They completely overhauled their offensive line when it would have been pretty easy to say, eh, we're good enough. Chargers, same thing. Like when they got Herbert, they went and overhauled that offensive line rather than saying Herbert was a miracle worker. We don't need to
1: anymore. Um, it's all about communication.
0: Yeah, but where, where I think you would run into problems is conveying that to the owner who's simply going to be looking at this and saying well we're successful now we we're a playoff team that's now where i expect to be
1: you don't go backwards from being a playoff team that's ridiculous now you just the other part of it too is you can't control turnover regression you can't control uh red zone regression or one point win regression you can't really control that but again i've heard many things throughout the off season which is so don't go into the off season just being like hey all we do is create turnovers. That's what we do. We're going to do it again this year. Don't build your team assuming those same things are going to happen. Don't go into the offseason and saying our only weakest weakness last year was third and one. We need you know to by bringing two short yardage backs, so we will be better in third and one. We'll win two more games. Don't go in like the Raiders did in 2000 and say we missed. We we lost five games last year. By three points or less, we're going to draft a kicker in the first round, right? So don't make those mistakes and say last year is going to happen exactly the same this year. We're just a couple plays away, and we're going to you know, spend the offseason fixing those couple plays. Those are the team-building mistakes that have been made historically that we won't make here.
0: All right. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Palazzolo, consultant general manager. NFL Podcast at Pff.com, if you want to send in questions for consultant Steve uh, to ask. And that's it.
1: Good work. Is anybody upset about the Tua assessment? I don't know. It's that a was, tough one, man. I wasn't looking at the chat. Okay, good. Probably, though. All right, man. It's a good show today. Let's wrap up this show and then knock out another couple of couple hours plus of uh, <laughs> the do East. do another one. Uh, so tomorrow, send us in, you know, tweet at us and all that. Follow us on Twitter because, you know, we're, we're more active on Twitter. At least I am. PFF underscore Steve. Over here. Mm-hmm. PFF underscore Sam over there. Follow us on Twitter. We're going to live tweet. That seemed to be a big hit during Bengals-Packers practice. Yep. Try to live tweet Lions-Jaguars.
0: I hope theirs is a less complicated set of instructions in terms of what you are and aren't allowed to cover. Um, do you think I'll be able to talk to Mark Brunel? I don't see a reason why not. I mean, it feels like, you know, you had your opportunity. He might remember you from the combine I'm sure he remembers me now the giant freak that I had to take a picture with
1: yeah Yeah. while he was distracted and trying to meet Kevin O'Connell for dinner
0: there is a benefit to being freakishly tall people remember you in a way they don't remember normal sized people right you will not remember you remember the crazy seven foot tall lunatic with the jerry curl you just do you're you're a memorable figure so that works in
1: your favor in these situations Well, we'll see Mark. We'll see Mark on the sideline. We'll see uh, Doug Peterson, friend of the show. See a bunch of my Lions friends up there. I'm excited. excited to go up and uh, see Jags Lions. But tomorrow we'll have uh, the AFC East and NFC East previews while we're at practice. Right? So you're going to be doing both things. We'll be watching practice, live tweeting it, and our show will be on previewing the East. So be ready. It's a big week here. PFF NFL Podcast. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you again tomorrow.